0: Everybody, happy Tuesday. Um, I'm Dana Droppo. I'm Chief Brand Officer at Billboard Magazine and very happy to be here with some wonderful panelists to talk a little bit about royalties, recorded music, and how to protect the wonderful things that you make as an artist. I am joined by some really wonderful and exciting panelists, so starting right to the next of me, we have Duncan Crabtree Ireland, who is the National Executive Director and Chief Negotiator for SAG-AFTRA. In this role, he oversees negotiations, as you may have guessed, for commercials, music, network code. He has also been overseeing the COVID return to work agreement, which I imagine was quite a bit of work. Um, And he's really a a driving force behind the union's uh, focus on technology and technology that is shaping sort of the future of recorded music for its members. So welcome, Duncan. Thanks, Dana. And then we have Armani White, who has racked up over 60 million views on streaming platforms. Um, You may know one of his songs, Billie Eilish, which I am told went four times platinum yesterday.
1: Congratulations.
0: Armani's a Philly native. He's a legend in the making. We're so happy to have him here with us. (laughs) And then we have Dan Resnick. Dan is owner and founder of Res Entertainment. It is a management, marketing, and talent consultancy. Dan and I, fun fact, worked together when we were... Young at Complex Magazine.
2: I wasn't young. Only Dan was.
0: <laughs> Still young. Uh, and we did some deals together. And Dan has been instrumental in the careers of a number of artists who are so wonderful. Names like Don Richard, uh, Christian Crosby, Johnny Lee. Dan works across brand deals, music deals, um, and the overall life cycle for many mm-hmm. different artists. So thank you so much for being with us.
2: Dan. Thank you all for having me. Yeah. I'm also from the Philly area, so we, we share that. Over
0: Do we there. have any Philly-born philly, uh, philly born people in the crowd?
2: Jersey. Go
0: what, what Jersey?
2: Go birds. <laughs> Go birds.
0: Um, awesome. OK, well, first things first, I think that we probably have some aspiring musicians in the crowd. And Armani, you are such an inspiration and would love to hear a little bit about how you got started. How did you know you were going to be an artist?
1: I don't think my mic is on, but, uh, I was, I was an artist my entire life. Like my entire, thank you. My entire like tenure of just wanting to be, um, heard, you know what I mean? Before it was like a rapper, it was like, I just wanted to do something that got people's reaction to do something that made people, you know, like, I don't know, smile, made people excited, made people like happy to have me in the room. So, um, like as that matured and turned into artistry, like or you know, music, uh, I first started, I guess, like a digital footprint. Like, it was more or less like, how do I get a name on different platforms? So it started off as like Tumblr, then from Tumblr kind of graduated to Twitter, from Twitter, like early on in Twitter, we used to like, uh, uh, we would send as many tweets as we could until like our until we went in Twitter jail, so it was like 300 tweets until you go to Twitter jail, we send our music to everybody. Um, and then uh, uh from there, we started to kind of gain like notoriety on SoundCloud. SoundCloud had this repost thing, so then you know, it was like one person heard something, reposted, spread that way. Um, and then yeah, like, that was like the earliest that I remember <laughs> uh, how it started out,
0: and uh. In the last year, I guess two years since 2021, you signed with Def Jam, is that
1: right? Yes, yes, I signed with Def Jam in 22 That's pretty
0: exciting. Yes. That's pretty exciting. Okay, we're going to come back to that. Mm -hmm. We're going to come back to that. Duncan, I would love to hear a little bit about how you landed at SAG-AFTRA. And chief negotiator, look, I'm a chief. I'm a chief brand officer. (laughs) Chief negotiator, that's a pretty intimidating title. So, you know, tell me a little bit about what led you to uh, the role you're in now.
3: Oh, it's working. We made, we made, okay. Thanks for all sharing today. That's great. Uh, thanks, Nina. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's intended to be intimidating. That's the whole goal. No. Uh, I, uh, I've been at SAG-AFTRA for uh, over 22 years, so I was a baby lawyer when I started out there and uh, as a staff attorney there, so I've just been there, um, had the chance to negotiate some amazing contracts, work with a great team there. Before that, I was a criminal prosecutor, so there was no like obvious linkage there. I know that seems weird. but. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, it's just, it's a place where, um, it's a really amazing place to be because you get to help people who really need your help. I mean, we have 160,000 members. So we have members who are, you know, up and coming. We have members who are very established, but really um, we have the chance to help all of them. And a lot of our members, uh, you know, it's a very tough business. The music business is very tough. Uh, it is hard on artists. Uh, so is the film and television business. So is, So are all of the industries that our members work in. And so we're really just here to protect them and to help make sure that they can have a successful career and have things like, you know, basic things that we all need like health insurance or, you know, the ability to retire someday or someone making sure that your workplace is safe, that kind of thing. So that's what we're really here to do. And one of the things we also do is help make sure our musician members um, our vocalist members get paid uh, because the structure of the music industry isn't well set up to make sure that everyone is getting, you know, is getting paid for the work that they're doing. And whether it's through royalties or whether it's for session singers or just a variety of of ways that people get paid in the music industry, we're here to help make sure that the artists get taken care of. Love that.
0: I love to hear that and I think that generally there's a, a, maybe a lack of awareness that recorded recording artists can be members of SAG-AFTRA. You hear about SAG, and I think people immediately think about the film and television industry, and so expanding some of that knowledge is what we're hoping to, to share with the audience today. Um, but, I mean, look, like... When we're talking about artists and, and representing them, building a team is so important, and Dan has been a, a founding member of a lot of different artist teams, and I know that I know you love music, I know you love visual art, I know that's a big motivator for you. Can you tell us a little bit about Res Entertainment and sort of what you're doing now?
2: Sure, um, so my company started in artist management and music. Like you know, we worked together at Complex, so when I was at Complex, I was doing talent booking Uh, for their branded deals, basically their ad deals. So that introduced me to another facet of potential um, income that um, I understood that maybe I could do outside of Complex. And so basically when I left there, I took that on to my company as well. And then also through working at Complex, I understood that I could work with other artists outside of music and still develop their careers and guide them through... You know their brand partnerships or different opportunities and so I took that as well and brought that to my company so at this point it's kind of 50-50 where half half of the things that we work on are artist representation and music visual art design content creator stuff like that so it's not just music anymore and then on the flip side uh, we do a lot of work consulting with different media companies brands and agencies on curating and booking talent for either editorial type things like uh, shows and podcasts um, to social campaigns and, you know, full-scale brand uh, operations. So it really just depends on, you know, whatever the, the program or project is that we're working on, but it's pretty vast on the type of things on a daily basis. So, uh, yeah, that's what up to these days.
0: Yeah, and I mean, it's it's clear from Dan talking about his experience, what goes into being a career artist and a career musician is so much more than making music, right? And for somebody like Armani, it's like, okay... You're getting some attention yeah. in the early days. You're putting out records. Your records are starting to resonate with an audience. And then what, like cash just starts rolling into your bank account? That's not really how it works, right? <laughs> so you gotta build broke, a good you're team. Broke a you're broke for a
1: long period of time. You broke for a long period of time.
0: How how did you pull a team together that is really there to support you and, and develop different lines of your business?
1: Um for me, it was like Scrappy is the best word I could use for it. Like, it was very scrappy. It wasn't like there was a a strategy or, like, just, like, a straight and narrow path. It was like it started out my – one of the first real members of my team was um, Rob, my tour manager, but there wasn't – it wasn't really – we weren't on tour at the time. It was just, like, we had – I guess how I look at it is, like, there's – orders that need to be fulfilled or there's like requests that need to be answered there's like there's boxes that need to be checked and we needed people to just check the boxes you know so at the time that was emails that was digital marketing like you know it was figuring out how we can how we can make a mark on spotify was the new thing at the time that was you know like that was me running out um um being my own manager for a while like there was a lot of um it was a lot of that going on but uh yeah right at the time we just needed oh is that our new mics <laughs> um yeah at the time we just needed like you know we needed just more hands we needed more hands to be able to do everything that we needed to do and started out it was just me and rob and after a while we just you know started trading hands like uh, uh, uh my dj would come in and do some stuff for me my brother would come in and do some stuff uh, uh, uh Chris- christian my hype man he'd come in and like you know he was helping biz- me with social media um and it really, you know, it really became such a, it was a scrappy thing at first. And over time, we started to kind of understand ordinance. We started to kind of see, like, what people's strong suits were. And then we just started to let people do their job and find, like, the right people to do, you know. Like, so now we have, like, at this point, now we have the management, we have lawyers, we have everybody in place. But, uh, it, you know, um, I guess early on, the first thing I thought about was, like, we need to get these things done and then we can figure out like how it needs to be done the professional way uh, later. And we knew uh, from me, I just knew like the last things that I might have needed. I knew the first things I might have needed, and I knew what needed to be. You know what I just needed to achieve um, beforehand. So like one of the last things for me was like. Uh, I guess in like 2018, it was more or less like Wild Wild West that like you could do anything on the internet. You could, I mean, still you can go viral on the internet tomorrow. So I was like, maybe the last thing I might need is a label. Beforehand, I might need all of the the tentacles that come from a label, or the, ten of, the tentacles that come from a bigger partnership that I can, um, you know, that I can outsource and get these things from. So uh, we just reached out. We got these things. We got management. My my manager now is like, you know, like those people are like a it's a. It's a whole beast in itself. It's like a you know, it's like a whole nother label, a whole nother J V. So now my management operates in that same fashion and we all just like that same level of uh I guess hungry. Like, you know, we have that same level of hunger and then um uh, you know, and then we reached out, find or found the right label. And yeah, I'm giving you the whole <laughs> synopsis of how yes, it happened. This but, is yeah, so yeah. <laughs> so but yeah.
0: So helpful, yeah. No, and I mean I'm curious, you know, from from Duncan, from your perspective, your I imagine, working with artist teams day in, day out. So why is having the right team in place uh, important from your perspective?
3: Well, I mean, I think, you know, one of the real challenges of being an artist, especially in the music industry, and and again, in all the industries we represent, but especially the music industry, is that you have to be an artist and you have to be a business person simultaneously. So in my experience, most artists I know, what they would really like to do is be an artist and not have to be a business person. And so really one of the ways you can do that is by having a team of people who can take some of that load off your shoulders so you can stay focused on your creativity and have other folks who are helping manage all of the pieces of that that are part of... You know, just like Armani just described. I mean, so many things that you need to take care of, especially in the music business, because you're kind of independent in a way. You know, it's not like there's a company that's just doing all of that for you in one place. Um, sometimes labels do that, but for artists who don't have a label yet, maybe or don't want to have a label, um, that's 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 a reality. So, so helping artists manage that challenging business part of the making a career as an artist in the music industry. That's what those teams are there for, that's what we're here for. Um, and especially when you're first starting out, that is tough because you, you have to figure out how to find those people, you have to figure out how to how how to compensate those people, you gotta figure out how to take care of yourself, make sure that your needs are met. It's it's it is very difficult. And on top of all that, you're supposed to be creative and coming up with amazing ideas and putting out cool tracks and just doing doing that part. So it's a lot. And that's what all of us are here for, is to try and help support artists to be able to make that happen. And then, of course, there's the downtime. So there's, you know, how do you get paid between, you know, like if you're not touring, if you're, if you're recording, let's say, and you don't have a label that's giving you a big advance, you know, how do you sustain yourself during that time? Or if you are touring, And things aren't going as well as you had hoped. And now all of a sudden, you know, your livelihood's at risk. There's a lot of challenges there. And so that's one of the reasons why it's so important to have things like royalties in place so that you have an ongoing stream of compensation that you can rely on uh, in an uneven industry like the music business.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I have to imagine that it's a really different game now when you are, you know, Armani, for example, it's like some of your music has blown up on TikTok. And there's not yeah. a real, there, there's not a like guidebook. This is all new for the industry. It's new yeah. for an artist, right? Yeah. So when that starts happening and you realize, oh, I made something good and there's something here, after that, you really have to trust your team, right? Was there kind of a moment where you said, all right, I'm on to something here and team, let's get with it?
1: Um, I think, uh, so especially a moment like like uh, the Billy Eilish one you're talking about, it was we already just believed in it. You know, we already walked into this, like, we already walked into it with this kind of like, I don't know, something different about this record. <laughs> you know, so, uh, and then, and when it, you know, when we got that level of vindication, like, when everything happened the way we thought it would, when everyone reacted and they did it 10X to 20X to 30X, what we thought was going to happen in our heads, it was just like, well, why not? You know, like, there was, there was so many moments that, uh, I think in my history, my biggest regret was like, you know, uh, I guess it's the recession. I don't know what it is, but like marketing gets more expensive every year. So like the same, but to do the same thing is like, it costs like $200 now, then it costs 2000 next year, then it costs. So my biggest regret was always like, I would have something good and I would put my money down on it and it would react. But I would be like, Yo, I could double down on this and make it crazy. And I wouldn't. And then, you know, and then like then I'd be sitting there thinking like, dang, why I ain't do that? Um, so this was that moment where it was like, yo, we could really double down on this and make this a really big, monumental moment. Or we could just be like, yo, we got a little reaction and, you know, let's hopefully we get one next year. Like, um, And so I, I think for me, it was like, yo, we, you know, we had that moment. We got that level of vindication. And it was like either we're going to really double down. We are really going to make this like. The you know, this is one of the, now we're talking 23, we're talking that this is one of the biggest records of last year um, but at the time we're like, we're really gonna double down and make this what it could be or we're we just gonna be like, yo, we had a cool little moment, it was cute but like, what's the next song? Like, you know, so. hundred
0: <laughs> percent mm-hmm, and I mean, Dan, like as a marketer and as a manager, it's, that's part of your job is to help your artist say, yeah, this is the moment and we should really invest, right?
2: Yeah. I mean, like you, you're saying like, if you have that team in place, everybody should be ready to kind of make moves once that moment kind of clicks and kind of optimizing and capitalizing on it. But that's really the important part of having a team. Cause if you don't, then you're just kind of like what Armani saying is like, well, should I double down or not? It's like, you don't really know how it's going to pan out. If you don't have a team to really take that on and, take the ball and run with it, if you're just doing it yourself, then, you know, that investment can hurt you, or you may not get anything out of that moment, even though it is a big moment, you're just kind of like, all right, well, what's the next moment? Because this one didn't really, like, take me from A to H or whatever, Mm -hmm. and you're trying to get to Z, so, you know, that's really the important part of having a team is, is having people around you that can really, you know, take their strengths and add them to what you're doing. And if you don't have that, you know, it's, it's really tough, especially in music.
0: Yeah, and it's kind of like a recipe, right?
1: I was going to say, kinda, just yeah. what you were saying is just there's not not just doubling down and believing in like, having a team that tells you, like, this is the right moment, but knowing what to do in that moment. There was a lot of moments with, with uh, Billy Eilish where it's like we got to a certain, you know, a peak or we got to a certain level, and I had to lean on Dion, my manager, and say, like, what's next like what is the thing that we do or lean on clay and say like okay how do we take this from this moment to you know this moment of like virality or, or or lean on the label or whoever it was that was in my corner but kind of just you know have those people around you that understand what the next step is understand like what it is that you're supposed to do and not just that you know like i could be throwing things at the wall all day until something sticks but
2: it's, it's basically understanding leverage and when you have a moment with leverage exactly. you gotta capitalize on it because you don't know when that's going to come back around so right. that's that's really important
0: Yeah. And I mean, it's like you make something that's valuable. You realize it's valuable. You've got a team in place that says we're ready to make moves, but you really have to know your rights and you really have to know what you're entitled to. So Duncan, tell me a little bit about how SAG-AFTRA fills that space and maybe you can lean on your legal background to do some of the homework (laughs) if we got to make moves fast for an artist that's about to pop, right?
3: Right, well, I mean, I think, and Dan and Armani both made the point, I mean, being prepared is, is so essential because, I mean, you can think, I won't name people, but you can think of examples of people who clearly were taken by surprise by, you know, a, a viral moment and didn't have necessarily a team in place and may have missed the opportunity to capitalize on that in the way that they could have. Um, but, you know, for us, there's really sort of two, two pathways. We, we represent the royalty artists um, like Armani, and we also represent session singers and other people who participate uh, in those recordings but who are not the royalty artist. And so the pathways for them to sort of look out for themselves and make sure they're compensated are a little different um, for our session singers and people who are who are working in that way on tracks there's a collective bargaining agreement provisions that cover you know how much they're supposed to be paid for the sessions and how they get paid royalties also can From, I pause you for a second? Yeah,
0: sure. Can you just, for the audience, tell us what a collective bargaining agreement is? Oh yeah,
3: sure. No, thanks. It's a good point. I should have I should have said that. So when the so the, as a union, which is what we are, so SAG-AFTRA is a union. We negotiate with all the major record labels uh, a an agreement that covers all of the artists that record for them, whether they're royalty artists, whether they're session singers, any vocalist that records for a major record label, and for any of the Indies who are also signed up to our agreement. Uh, our contract automatically covers them, and it does things uh, for them, such as make sure that they get health insurance, make sure that they get contributions into a pension, make sure that um, you know they, they get royalties. Um, those things are all built into our our agreement so then, as an individual artist, your lawyer, your manager can negotiate your royalty deal and everything that you're negotiating is basically on top of the framework that we've already established. And so that's important because uh, if you are a session singer, for example, your amount of leverage is gonna be a little different than maybe if you're a royalty artist and so that collective bargaining agreement is usually the only way that session singers would get royalties, for example, from a track, other than royalties that are paid through some of our uh, collective management organizations like SoundExchange and the AFM and SAG-AFTRA Fund. Then, when you talk about uh, royalty artists like Armani, uh, you know different royalty artists have different points of leverage during their career, right? And when you're maybe starting out, you don't have a huge amount of leverage with the label necessarily. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. And so, again, our agreement is a is a basic framework so that all you have to do is negotiate up from there instead of having to worry about negotiating all that basic stuff. Our agreement also provides for how, um, how you get paid for things like um, you know, limitations on how, how royalties are recouped or various other, various other elements like that are included, um, how streaming money gets paid for, things like that. Um, and then of course as a union, we're also part of the CMOs. So like Sound SoundExchange, um, which is how royalty artists like Armani would get paid for things like satellite radio use or other things like that you know, those are all pieces of what we do. And I would be remiss if I didn't take this opportunity to point out that um, for AMFM radio use, no artist gets paid. I think that's really important to know that. If you're a songwriter, you get paid. But if you are an artist, a performer, and your work is performed on AMFM radio in the United States, you do not get one penny for that. That's something we've been fighting against for decades. So many people don't even know that. So many people think, oh, of course, I hear this track on the radio, of course they're getting paid. Artists, performers are not getting paid when their tracks are used on AMFM radio. They are getting paid for satellite radio, they are getting paid for digital, but they are not getting paid for AMFM radio and that needs to change. And we have been fighting that battle and we have a bill in Congress right now called the uh, American Music Fairness Act which we, um, along with the labels and the whole coalition of the music community, we are trying really hard to get that changed, so that artists get paid when their work is. I mean, it's it's to me it's ridiculous that an artist's work could be used and just taken from them for free. It's wrong, and uh, hopefully that'll finally uh, get some traction and get changed because that's how it's been in the in the business since the start of radio, and it's. An outrage. So anyway, sorry for my soapbox, but that's, that's another great. piece of, of compensation that artists deserve and need to get paid. Do do I got I got health insurance?
1: Well, <laughs> <laughs> I well, just finding you, this out on yeah, stage. If, huh? you're, if, you're,
3: <laughs> if you're if you're, you're recording as, as an artist, if you're recording under a SAG-AFTRA contract, so if you're with a record label that's signed to uh, SAG-AFTRA, which all the majors are. Uh, including Def Jam uh, including Def Jam yeah. then yes right. you, you when basically you get health insurance through that and if you need more info on that we can talk afterwards and I can get you the details okay bet <laughs> alright
0: South by Southwest, last ladies and gentlemen a deeply educational experience
1: <laughs> I learned a lot today
0: <laughs> no that's such a good point point. and I mean look we talk about supporting artists if you're a fan you want to support the artists that you love you want to let them know how important they are to you they get you through these moments alright but it's also so important to get them paid. And even as a fan, it can be hard to know how artists actually make their money, right? So let's talk a little bit about brand deals. And that's something that I know Dan spends a lot of time uh, working on with his clients. How important is that in terms of of revenue for for recording artists?
2: Man, um, you know, a lot of the artists that I work with, I really feel like that got them through to maybe their major label deal or got them through their recording process or whatever, when they couldn't tour or whatever, um, those were really key things in their income. And, and same with the non-music artists that I work with. Um, brands really, even though it's a, a blessing and a curse sometimes because brands can be difficult to work with and really more focused on what they want to do than what the artist wants to do, um, the income is, is really important. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I would say that brand partnerships have been probably the, the biggest blessing to a lot of the clients that I work with just as far as um, income and just raising their profile and awareness.
0: So when you're putting a brand deal together, what are some of the things that you are talking with that brand rep about to make sure that your artist is feeling comfortable and that the deal is essentially a good deal?
2: Well, it really depends on where you are and and the leverage, again, to use that word, on like how much you're able to negotiate with the brand. But some of the, the major points are just the deliverables, what, you know, the brand is expecting from the artist in return for the compensation and just making sure that you're not over-promising a brand or... Uh, compromising your own brand in exchange for whatever the brand is giving you. For example, if a brand wants you to do a certain amount of posts on your social media, but you know your social media is something that you really look at as a creative outlet, not as a, a brand platform, then sometimes you're going to have to negotiate with the brand over how many posts or kind of what the creative is and things like that. So it reflects your own brand more, you know, as much as it does theirs. Um, exclusivity is something that is, is consistently negotiated because a lot of times we'll, a brand will not want you to work with a competitor or somebody, somebody else yeah. in the same category. Mm-hmm. Um, potentially the term or the scope of how long the deal lasts um, and, you know, those are some of the key points that are consistently coming up in brand deals.
0: It's probably not a good idea to sign a, a, a lifetime exclusive deal. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, you never know. I mean, there, there are deals done like that that are beneficial to artists, depending on the brand and how authentic it is to them. So, I, you know, that's not something that I would fully agree with Dana, but um, there's definitely instances where I've heard that being a positive thing.
0: Any brand marketers in the crowd? Seems like you need to call Dan.
3: <laughs> well, you know, Dan, we should we should note, uh, and Dan, we should note that you know, there's a very strong argument under California law that a seven-year rule would apply to those kind of brand deals as well, potentially. So. Uh, you know, there would be an argument that a brand deal longer than seven years might be unenforceable under California law. So, interesting uh, topic for another panel, probably. But I should also just mention, you know, we have an influencer agreement. Sagafra does. We just uh, we just created this agreement about two years ago, uh, and, and we've got a huge amount of um, additional, you know, of, of use of this agreement now. Um, which basically means that when you make a brand deal uh, for social media or whatever, you can cover that under a SAG-AFTRA contract. You can get health insurance contributions, retirement contributions. It's one of our most flexible agreements because of the nature of the influencer world. So just a, another thought for anyone out there who's doing those deals, uh, if you're a SAG-AFTRA member, you might be. Um, that is something that, that is covered by the union also.
0: Well, and talking about... Talking about where Armani is at, you know, we've talked a lot about sort of this, this moment <laughs> around Billie Eilish, which is actually yeah. a, a super false paradigm because you have been releasing music, EPs, yeah. albums, recording for many, many years, yes. and this moment has been a ton of effort to get to this place. So you've got to have a lot lovely. of offers rolling in right now in your book. You've got to be making money in different ways. Yeah. What, what are some of the ways that, that you make money or that you drive revenue that feel really important to you right now?
1: Right now, um a big one is shows. Mm-hmm. Obviously, uh, you know, south by but uh
0: you do you have a show coming up with Billboard magazine? perhaps? Uh, yes,
1: yes <laughs> 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 show. Uh, is that is that uh it's Thursday? Thursday, it's Thursday. Night? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thursday night, Thursday night at Waterloo Tickets Park. available? Yes, Waterloo Park, tickets available right now. Me, Come Lola through. Brooke and, Lo, and Lil' Yachty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Come yes, no, no, no. Um but it's it's primarily it's a uh, it's a lot of Shows, um, you know, shows just obviously just keep consistent money coming in. There's um, uh, brand deals is what you were saying, like brand deals – even prior to the record deal, Brandos like in the pandemic, what? Brandos get me a lot, pay my bills, like um so, uh, you know, there's there's the brand deals, but there's a big piece of um um a lot of it that comes from publishing, which is like you were saying, like because uh uh because I do have writing shares, like I write my music, um when it when it does get played on F M radio, when it gets played on satellite and, and you know, et cetera, like I do recoup or, you know, retain that money from uh from publishing. And then there's also yeah, uh there's there's a lot of money that comes in. <laughs> um, there's a lot of money um, that yeah, comes yeah, no, in. If
0: you a- if you leave with one thing, Armani said there's a lot of money that yeah, comes
2: no, in. No,
1: no, no, oh, no. I'm trying to be as like you know I'm trying to be as open book as possible. There's you know there's there mm-hmm. is branders that come in. There's um there's publishing that comes in. Um another big one is Sync, which is like kind of kind of brand but not really because it's you know uh but that's Sync licensing is a uh, television movies um you know if if you're at if you walmart like, where, wherever you know does there's the trash and someone plays your song um there's just like mailbox money that comes in from that that like you don't even realize that you know you're just consistently making money um so that's kind of I think that's that's more or less the full scope of like uh uh where I make majority of the money and then, then obviously there's um there's just a retention from the way my deal is structured There's retention from like uh bringing in you know royalties and uh, um what's the word I'm looking for um
0: Residuals?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's another word. But <laughs> but just, just um, on the side of royalties, there's still money coming in from that as well, just because of when you have a record like Billie Eilish that performs that way, like, you know, yeah, <laughs> things make sense a little
0: better. Yeah, 100%. I mean, this stuff is really complicated, so I'm going to, again, lean on my friend Duncan. Duncan, can you walk us through the difference between royalties, residuals, and reuse? The three R's, as we call them in the biz. Yeah,
3: Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Well, I think for most music artists, royalties are really the most important thing to understand because residuals and reuse... Um, you know, residuals is, a, is as a term is m- more frequently applied in the sort of film and television space, and reuse can be applicable here, and Armani referenced some of the examples when you've got a track that's uh, going to be used in certain types of, uh, going to be licensed for use in certain types of you know, film and television projects, for example, that can generate a significant amount of money. Um, through licensing. But for, I think for most artists, the number one thing they need to know is that they're entitled to royalties. Um, They can be entitled to royalties through their royalty agreement that comes out of the money that the label makes from from licensing the tracks, but they also are entitled to royalties paid directly to them by SoundExchange or by the AFM and SEG After fund as performers. Um, And so those would be royalties that come from non-interactive digital use like Uh, Satellite radio, for example, Uh, Pandora, like traditional Pandora, any sort of non-interactive digital goes through that. And SoundExchange collects almost a billion dollars a year, uh, half of which is paid out to artists. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's really important for anyone who has a track that might be used in any of those areas to register with SoundExchange. Um, it's free. You don't have to pay. You don't have to hire someone to do it for you. You can go directly to their website and register. Same thing with the AFM and sag After fund. Um, that's the fund that pays those same types of royalties for non-featured artists. So somebody like Armani, when when he's the featured artist, would obviously be paid by SoundExchange. But also, um, you know, uh, when you... No matter how uh, successful or high-profile you are as an artist, if you choose to do something that might be a non-featured role in someone else's track, then you might get paid through the AFM and SAG-AFTRA fund for that. So those are two places you need to go to make sure you get your royalties. Uh, if you are working under union contracts, then the royalties that you're paid through our collective bargaining agreement will be automatically delivered to you by the union um, or through the union. And then, of course, uh, all that licensing activity, also um, the payments for that can go through the union, sometimes it goes through the label, but um, you do get paid for when a track is used in commercials, when a track is used in film and television, really any kind of use, even um, whether you are or aren't the songwriter, you get paid for that. If you're the songwriter, like Armani said, that's even better. So, I mean, if I were an artist, I would love to write my own tracks as well as perform on them, because then you get paid songwriting for songwriting and publishing, which you don't get paid for if you're a performer. So um, so the best thing is to be a, you know a singer songwriter, get paid royalties from both both of those things and that does help build up a you know a level of compensation that can help make it a viable career where you can actually, you know, uh, do well enough to sustain yourself and all of the people who are part of your team. Can I ask you yeah. a question? So where does where does SAG have to step in on those like uh like Sound Exchange? So when
1: Sound Exchange is paid out, where does the SAG after like that? That portion
3: right, so well, so sound exchange um, you know, was created through the joint effort of the labels and the unions, including. Uh, then AFTRA and AFM, and so we're on their board. And what happens with the the great thing about the Sound Exchange money is there is no recoupment on Sound Exchange money. Mm-hmm. So and this it's hard. I mean, I don't want to get too technical, but you know, as an artist, if you get a big advance from your label, yeah. then the royalties that you're paid under your royalty agreement, the label is going to be taking that money back to pay off the advance, right? Mm-hmm. And so it takes a while, sometimes forever, in order for that to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the money that comes in through Sound Exchange, there's an agreement that the unions made with the labels way back in the nineties that that money is not subject to recoupment so any money that you get from your sound exchange royalties comes directly to you from sound exchange and the label does not get to take any part of that back to recoup advances yeah. and that's really important because the sound exchange money can be a sustaining source for you like between you know when you're when you're still you know paying back advances or other things under your record deal so it's it's kind of all connected together and uh, yeah
1: so sound exchange is uh,
3: So we're Sound Exchange. We're part of Sound Exchange. Sound Exchange is the labels and the unions and artists all together. It's a nonprofit that collects that money from the users, um, and then so like SiriusXM or Pandora or whoever pays that money into Sound Exchange, and then Sound Exchange pays it out to you. But we're all part of helping make sure it runs smoothly and and keeps going. So when you're saying that you're collecting, it's coming out through Sound Exchange. Right. So for those royalties, it comes through Sound Exchange. Yeah. If you're a non-futurist, it comes through the AFM and SegAfter Fund. I have like a, a slide. I didn't bring it. Thankfully, you're glad. But <laughs> oh that shows yeah. all of this and it's so complicated. I have a slide deck that I did about it. But Can you explain yeah. it with
0: an interpretive dance?
3: I, you know, um, I could, but I think that would be unf- no one would want to see that. Uh, maybe <laughs> maybe I can work with Armani and then he can uh, he oh, can do, do a track
2: about it. But I think... Um, <laughs> and then we'll put it on TikTok. Yeah,
3: tot- That would be good. I think they could make a t- tiktok dance about royalties that would be awesome okay. <laughs> that's a free idea right there but, um, but yeah so I mean it's really it's a complicated web you know and that comes from the fact that there's all these rights coming from different sources and yeah. money comes from different places um, so the union distributes some of the money sound exchange distributes some of the money if I'm saying after fund distributes money for your publishing and your songwriting you've got the you know their CMOs yeah. uh, like ASCAP for example that distribute money there's just uh there's a lot of different pieces, and that's why you need a team, and that's why it's so complicated but um but we've got some resources on our website that help explain that as well and um you know, and always you can call the union uh, even if you're not a member, you can call us and we'll talk to you, so, oh, you yeah you know yeah. yeah
0: that's great. I mean, I'm curious to hear a little bit about sort of. That, that period where you're starting out and I'm you're, you're moving past this phase of your career right now but if you could go back in time and you could talk to your younger self or maybe in the crowd we have some people who are hoping to develop careers what's some advice that, that you would share with them that you maybe wish you had known
1: mm, um <laughs> the biggest advice is to listen <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't think I listened a lot when I was a kid but um uh yeah, it's it's to listen, but also still trust yourself. I think, um, yeah. I mean, there was the, honestly, I feel like the the younger version of me had just put a bunch of things on the board that was like, I can do all these things. I don't know how, but I can do all these things. And the version of me ten years later is just proving him right. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, so a lot of a lot of things. I don't think like I don't think I was necessarily wrong in them, but like if we would have just listened, we could have got there a little faster. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think uh, it's just because, you know, like when you're a kid, like especially maturing into the, the biggest part of maturing is learning that you don't know everything. And, you know, like the, even, for, you know, a big portion of this conversation that we've been having is like having a team is super, is super important. It's super crucial to your growth and your growth as a human being. So at the time I just thought like, nah, I got it <laughs> I don't need a team, just give me a day and so um and so a lot of it was just you know if I would have just had the time to just sit down think about it and and understand it from the perspective of like maybe if I brought these people into the you know into the room, then we could have gotten you know gotten somewhere different, gotten somewhere further, but uh yeah, just really just listen like I really just wish I would have listened a little quicker,
0: yeah, it makes sense, seems like you're doing a pretty good job now. <laughs> Dan, um, what about you? Do you have advice that that you usually share with artists who you're working with who are just starting out?
2: I mean, I really think Armani hit it on the head, and this is still something that I struggle with all the time with clients that I have today is just listening. It's like there's a reason that at the early stages of the game that somebody with experience would want to work with an artist, and it's usually not about the money because at the early stages, artists are not making money. So if somebody is in your career that just wants to help you out and they have experience, you probably should listen to them because if they're not doing it for the money, they're really just there to support and help you go on your way. And um, I find that a lot of artists at the early stages of the game are very strong headed and they think because they know a little bit of something then they know a lot of something. And a lot of times that's not the case and they have to fall on their face a couple times before they realize that they don't really know what is up and they really should listen. And you know, you hate to see that happen, but a lot of times that's what has to happen in order for artists to kind of like learn the right way to do things. And it's unfortunate because I think if they just listen from the jump, then you know, it it could be a little bit easier and they could avoid some of those bumps and bruises. Um, But I, I do really feel like that is probably like the best advice to give artists is like if you have somebody around that's experienced, you probably should listen to them. Not everything they say might apply to you. But if they're there and they're, they have your best interests at heart, listen to what they say and take it with a grain of salt, but take it in.
0: Yeah, and I mean, it's clear from all the people up on this stage deeply care about music and deeply care about protecting artists and making sure that they're getting their due and getting, um, you know, getting paid.
3: Um, you know, Dana, on that same point I think one of the other things that I've seen is sometimes artists who feel very confident in themselves as solo creators don't recognize that there's a difference between being a solo creator and then the business side of the of what's happening, right? And so you can be someone who is passionately believes like I uh, you know, I need to maintain my solo creative vision, but th- you're not detracting from that by choosing to work with a team to help you navigate the business because the business side of this industry is very difficult (laughs) it really is so I just think that that artists who are starting out should should if they can try to think about that and say you know even if I don't need a creative team I do need a business team to help me because it's very
2: hard to navigate that even if you were an expert um, one more thing I want to add is that um, I think it's really important for artists early on to define what success looks like for them. Yeah. I think um, everybody that's in music has different goals and kind of figuring out what those things are and how you define success is really important because I've also seen a lot of artists that have achieved a lot and are unhappy and they feel like they haven't gotten their due or they haven't reached whatever heights that they wanted to reach or whatever the case may be. If you figure out early on really what success is and and where your goals lie, I think it can be a a much happier uh, path for an artist.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm curious... you know, we talk about the business and knowing the business and being an expert, but the reality is that the business is shifting and changing all the time. And new technology, mm-hmm. there's, there has never been a period of more rapid change in the music business than right now, and we're living mm-hmm. through it. Blowing up on TikTok, good example of that. Duncan, can you talk a little bit about how SAG-AFTRA is sort of um, watching technology affect its members and what you're doing particularly to protect from, from piracy and illegal use?
3: Yeah, well, I mean, for, I mean the, the TikTok example you gave is a really good one because obviously when, you know, in the earlier days of TikTok, there was a lot of use of music with no licenses, with no, you know, compensation. Um, the TikTok creator fund is not enough to, like, that's not the platform or the method for compensating people for use of musical tracks in my opinion in, in TikTok. And I and, and now of course the labels have caught up to the times and now there are um, license deals with TikTok that generate significant revenue and that also translates into money for artists. And that's part of you know the kind of negotiations that we do is to make sure the framework, like that sort of structural part of the industry is taken care of so artists don't have to negotiate that individually. But as far as the technology advances, I mean, one of the things we're super focused on right now is AI and how that's going to change the music industry, the film. I mean, all of the industries our members work in are going to be affected by AI. Anyone who hasn't been paying attention to this, I urge you to like do a little digging because you will find that advances in AI, even over the last year, have created capabilities in the generative AI space that never existed before, and and are changing almost daily. So what we do is we try to stay ahead of that technological curve. Um, We go places where we can see what's happening in real time or maybe get a little bit of a preview such as uh, CES. Um, anyone who hasn't ever been to CES, it's the Consumer Electronics Show. It's in Las Vegas every year. Uh, SAG-AFTRA has had a presence there for over 20 years. Um, we do a, a, a summit about labor and technology and how humans and technology work together. Um, but AI was the big topic uh, there this year, and I expect it probably will be for, for foreseeable future because um, there's just capability to generate creative output, whether it's visual arts, whether it's music, film and television, writing, that didn't exist a year ago. And, uh, you know, there are, <laughs> there are companies who work in the music industry who have technology today that can compose music, that can uh, synthesize voices for purposes of sound. All of those things are, are a real concern. And so we're looking to have a human-centered approach to AI. We are, um, one of the principles that we have embedded in our collective bargaining agreements is that if you're going to take someone's uh, voice, image, likeness, performance, and use it to uh, create a new digital performance that you have to have their consent and you have to compensate them for that. Um, That's like, to us, fundamental. You can't take someone's prior work, digitize it, run it through an AI uh, or an algorithm, create a new performance and pretend like you don't need to get their permission or pay them for that. Um, in terms of synthesized voices and synthesized humans going in the future, that's something that I think we're all going to face the challenge uh, of that. And um, you know, there have been there have been panels on that very topic. But one of the key things I think is just understanding that when a computer creates something, whether it's through AI or or you know volumetric capture or any of these forms of technology, it needs to have a human element of the creation in order for it to trigger intellectual property rights for copyright, for example. That's something that the Copyright Office has said that. There's cases going on about this now. We feel very strongly about that because um, that is really part of what makes, um, you know, creativity comes from humans and that's where uh, copyright is meant to protect things. And so um, copyright's meant to foster creativity. It's meant to make sure people can have a career creating music, creating art. And so, um, so as a society, we don't, we shouldn't give the kind of protection to uh, AI creations that we give to humans.
0: Hundred percent. I mean, Armani, how important is technology and tools for you as you're building out not just your music, but worlds around your music and your whole perspective on
1: on artistic output. Um, I didn't get too deep into AI. I tried to get AI to write me a song, never other it. It was awful. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> it's not good at all, it's not good at all. But, um, uh, I mean, technology, obviously, is like the, the, the boom of technology as far as social media has been super um, you know, essential in, in my growth from just being a local artist to you know, um, um, an internet artist to a TikTok. Rapper, or whatever you could call me now, but um, uh, it's yeah, I think there's when I was a kid, there was this idea that like my uncle used to always tell me he was like, Yo, anytime you go do a show, you got to perform your heart out because you never know, P. Diddy might walk in the room. And I'm like, bro, I'm at a bar in North Philly, P. Diddy's not walking (laughs) here, but but uh, I think that room that he was talking about, like theoretically, was the internet. That room that he was talking about was like, you know, there's you when you post something on the internet, when you create content when you create a video when you create a story a song whatever it is you never know who is going to stumble across that who's going to listen who's going to watch who's going to engage who's going to like you know have some sort of uh uh, attachment and connection with whatever it is that you're that you're putting out into the world so i think for me technology has always just been about that like i've like i i've i've already kind of I don't want to say successfully done it because you know, like I grow every day, but I've already, you know, kind of uh, created what I am and who I am in real life. So I feel like if somebody runs into me, like they know exactly who I am. They're, like they're going to get my real, raw personality, and it's going to be a good time every time. So it's like. I still have to, I still have to every day, just create who I am on social media, create who I am digitally, create who I am for these millions and hundreds of millions of people who have never heard of me. Even, you know, even with this song, that's, you know, hundreds of millions of streams, like there's still a bunch of people who don't know who that artist is and, and and not, you know, even if they know the name, don't know who that artist is on a personal level. So I still have every day, every week and every year to recreate who it is that I am for all of these people that if don't if they don't connect with the last piece of content, the last song, they connect with the next song and the next piece of content. So, um I think yeah. I just think as we as we advance from 2023 to 2030 to 2040, as, as you're saying, like AI is becoming more important every day. They create another iRobot that's like you know smiling, talking, doing your dishes for you. Um, I think like there, we're getting to a point where digital is, I don't want to say making outside obsolete, but it's like you know it's kind of uh, it's just kind of recreating how we view, look at the world. Like you know, like I like. I, I, it, Twenty years ago, you had to stand outside to get a car. Now you can just call a an Uber and uh, let you know when it's outside. Like there's just things that we don't even realize that we've changed, um, and there's ways that we don't even realize that we changed as far as like how we interact with the world. And I think that's going to continue to happen. So you have to create that digital footprint to make sure that you know you're you're sticking in the world as it evolves and as it changes.
0: Hundred percent.
3: And your authenticity, like I mean, to me, one of the things that artists are get, that's always going to be special about artists is the authenticity, right? Like a yes, digital. Sir. Like uh, an AI created you is not the same as you, and you know your fans are interested in you as an authentic artist, and so that's something that um, that that AI will never be able to to create.
1: But you know the thing about that though, um, and it's just random, but like that was when I when I was like on Tumblr years ago. Um, that was something I learned about how the internet interacts with people and how the internet like kind of attaches itself to people is because the internet. AI, all these things are fake and we can identify it as fake. So when it does real things, we're impressed by it. So, like, I would go on Tumblr and there was, like, at the time, instead of retweets and likes and things, they had these things called notes. That was how you've seen how many engagements that a post had. And it would be things with, like, hundreds of thousands of notes that it would just be, like, a guy doing laundry or, like, you know, somebody just, like, cleaning their garage or something like that. But it, was, it had all these engagements and reactions that was really just because we were in such a digital age that, like, normal things were cool. You understand what I'm saying? So it's like, so now we're looking at AI. It's not like AI is doing, you know, it's not like we're we're teaching this robot how to fly from one building to another. It's talking, you know, like it's doing, it's like we, I just seen one of them do a push up. You know what I'm saying? It's like there's normal things that human beings can do, but I think it's interesting because we're, you know, we're doing it. So as you create who you are digitally, you have to do things that, like you said, are are authentic to who you are in real life.
0: Absolutely. I do, um... I want to give the the audience a chance to ask some questions and I'm sure that we've got some fans or maybe some some hopeful artists in the crowd. Uh, and we've got a mic. Would love to pass the mic to our friend here in the middle. Perfect.
1: Um I wanted to know like how the scarf thing came about. <laughs> <laughs> um I didn't feel like doing my hair, Uh, (laughs) but I had to find a way to make it look good. So I was like, you know, um, yeah, I I, I actually, I got my hair done one time and uh, this girl, Yaya, she did my hair. I got my hair done one time, Yaya did my hair and then she gave me this scarf and it just looked kind of fire, it went with my outfit. So I just wore it outside and yeah, it just went ever since then. I usually do it in like this little pineapple thing where my hair is hanging out the front, but yeah.
0: Next question. Yeah, can we pass the mic up to the middle here? Thank you.
3: I had a question for Armani and Dan. You talked about early in your career, before you had a team in place to kind of help you make decisions, you had to prioritize between kind of long-term needs, median, and then short-term or high-priority tasks, and you had to kind of make those decisions yourself. My question for you or, or for the both of you in terms of how you manage artists is there's a notion that creatives and artists can't be uh organized right right brains are not organized that's only for for left brains how do you organize yourself as an artist like i understand the concept of those three goals but like on paper or in a google calendar some bands will share but like what were some of the ways that you physically kept yourself organized whether that's contacts tasks projects any of that stuff how did you how did you stay organized
1: um for me um, and I, you know, I'll give you a short answer and let Dan take it away. But uh, for me, just as, as a you know solo artist, um, I, the main thing I was doing was I had so many ideas that would come in every day. Like, in, you know, it's me on the phone, me walking around, me in the shower. That's where most, most of my ideas come from. I would just write them in a note. Like I would just put everything in a note. So I just had somewhere visible to, you know, reference or like, and like then another thing is I had two whiteboards. I had a long term whiteboard and I had a short term whiteboard. So it was like my long term whiteboard would be like, there's these are the five things I wanna do before, I don't know, summertime. And then my short-term whiteboard will be based on, like, one thing at a time. So there's this one thing. This is all the things I need to do to accomplish and really, you know, make an impact with that one thing. And then I move on to the next thing, like wipe that off, put the next thing on the, on the short-term whiteboard. But it was those two things, and I would create a Google Note with just all of my ideas, everything.
2: Yeah, and my answer is not really that different. It's really just yeah. putting together, like, checklists, prior prioritizing Um, maybe setting up weekly calls to discuss urgent matters. And then um, something that I do for my clients, which is just as helpful for me, is I send them, like, a list of weekly updates, which has literally everything that we're working on in different categories and stuff like that. And sometimes nobody replies to it, and that's okay. (laughs) Part of the reason that I do it is so in my head, I can kind of clear what the priorities are in my mind, if they get something out of it too, that's great, but this (laughs) way I can keep like a running tab on all the different projects and, you know, I have six or seven clients that I manage, so it's necessary, otherwise, you know, I might forget things.
1: Yeah.
0: Awesome, we've got a question uh, in the back there.
1: So with
3: all of the collection agencies out there, BMI, ASCAP, MLC Harriet Fox, would it be um, in the best interest of the artists to still sign up with Sound Exchange, or would that cause issues across the board when collecting from all the other agencies? No, not only is it in your best interest, you really need to because Sound Exchange collects different money than any of the other agencies you just mentioned. So, you know, when you're in the publishing world, that's a different question, but for performance rights, you definitely need to sign up for SoundExchange as an artist because there is no other entity that collects the same money that SoundExchange collects.
0: Mm. And you need to get all the
3: money. Great, you get all the money. (laughs) (laughs) money. I know we have
0: a question up here in the second row, if we can run the mic up. Thank you so much. Hi.
1: Um, So I'm here with my band today and we're relatively new. Uh, And we started out probably like mid-August of last year. And um, we've kind of kind of gained some, a little bit of momentum, and we're uh, set to record in March, towards the end. And um, I was just wondering, other than things you've said before, if you have any other advice on how to go about kind of distributing our music once it's recorded and once it's finished and once we're happy with the product we have. If there's any like, things specifically from a marketing standpoint or like, the actual distribution of like, who we go to, whether we want to do it ourselves. Um, just kind of like how we maximize that first initial output
2: uh, me uh, uh, <laughs> I, mean, I can you go first because I feel like this is a general question that just applies across the board, but i would look I would look at other bands or acts that you admire, like who what are they doing, and kind of like take the blueprint from what they're doing and try to copy that on some level, not obviously you know to at but if, if you like what they're doing, who's distributing their music, what platforms are they on, what agents are they working with? If, you're, if you have a similar sound to them or whatever, then it's most likely that the people that are gravitating towards their music will also appreciate yours. So I think that's always a good place to start is kind of just checking out the landscape of other acts that you respect and admire and kind of connecting the dots as far as like what they're doing. I think that's a great first step.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean,
2: I think I think we live in
1: a world where uh, you don't have to you don't have to like stick your neck out to get it chopped off anymore. Like you can you know, there's TikTok, there's Instagram, there's all these different mediums where you can go on and just like see how your music is going to react with people like, you know, so the same way he was saying, you know, uh, you look at this band that you like and see who distributed them. I would look at that band and see what it is that they're doing to push their music, see what it is that they're doing to like get people to gravitate towards their music, understand their music and, and, and use those same you know, use those same concepts, ideas, like just and, and kind of, you know, make them your own thing. But uh but it's just there's so many ways for you to kind of test the waters to see, you know, like how your music is going to perform and make make sure it does what it's supposed to do before you just run out and yeah.
2: And also, you know, put your music on as many platforms as as makes sense. Yeah. You know, Make sure you're maximizing that.
0: Awesome. We've got a question up here in the middle.
3: No, thank you. Um, we we're talking about AI and and copyright and stuff there for a little bit, and uh, it brought to my mind if my copyrighted work is fed into an AI program to then for it to create something from that. Do they? owe me for using my work for whatever work they then derive a new piece of work from? That is that is like the $100 billion question. That, that is being litigated right now in a number of cases uh, where AI training data sets have been created from, knowingly, from copyrighted works. Uh, you can, you know, there's a Getty Images case. There's some others. Um, and you can if you're you know interested you can if you go on uh, tools like Dali or midjourney the easiest way to observe it is with visual art because you will and, and you can actually just google this you'll see examples out there there are AI created uh, images in the case of Getty they have examples where the Getty logo is in the image created by the AI because it so so there's no there's no arguing that they didn't use the Getty image as part of their training data set they clearly did the debate that's going on is you know how many like is there a point at which so many um, pieces are put into the data set that it sort of wipes away any kind of copyright claim or gives you an access to a fair use claim or something like that. We certainly don't think so. Our position is that if, you know, that that copyright, you have to have a license from people to use those images in a, in a training data set that is going to output material and that it's infringement not to do that. But that is a active debate that, you know, not just debate, that's an actively litigated topic right now. And um, I think, uh, you know rights holders anyone who's a creator anyone who believes in you know wanting to protect creators and make sure that the creative economy can continue needs to be on the side of saying you cannot just take people's copyrighted works and use them to create uh, some AI training set that then just lets a computer spit out new images that are just amalgamated copies of other people's work if you if if we say that that's okay that really is going to be going to make it very challenging to uh, maintain a viable creative community from an economic point of view. So we're fighting really hard against that and I hope that everyone who believes in artists and creativity will join in that fight because uh, it's a really important outcome.
0: No, That's a really beautiful thought and I know we've got to wrap up here. So just in summary, I think that we have learned how vital it is for artists to have a team that supports them and that can be infrastructure to help monetize their success. I think you got to listen to that team clearly. Um, and you have to understand that being a, a member of SAG AFTRA and having a union to represent your rights uh, on your behalf is an incredibly powerful tool that may be more accessible to you than you even know. And um, Thank you so much for coming out. Please come join us on Thursday night at Moody Amphitheater. Come see Armani perform. We're so hyped for that. And uh, we'll see y'all later. Thank you so much.